Good evening, everyone. You're going to see Dip and Dot behind me once again today because their father is on the phone and they are just going to fight. They love sparring. It's their favorite pastime. They're both in on it. They're both to blame. They both get irritated with it. Eventually, Dip will probably jump up high on his little cat tower in here. Then we also have this mattress leaning up against the wall that he loves to get up on. And he just likes to sleep up there so that he can look down on all of us and tell us how cool he is from up there. So today we got a bunch of stories to cover. I want to start with some technology stuff because I love this kind of thing and I think you guys will too. It's actually really neat. Um, we're going to talk about, what do we got here? Tucker Carlson striking an ad, de- uh, ad deal with a very cool conservative company. We'll read more about that. We will read about Sam Brinton because apparently that story is not over yet. And then we'll read about the mistake that sent millions of sensitive emails to a Russian ally. Ooh, holy cow, holy cow. We'll fact check that. We'll get into it. It's a very interesting story and a tale of total incompetence. And we have finally some cultural stories to touch on. There weren't apparently any huge breaking stories today because the Daily Mail's top headline was about Sofia Vergara. Um, and that is not breaking news and not very important. So we're going to look at what we have from other sources. All right, let's talk about this one. It looks like a toy spider, but a, this micro robot is one of an army of tiny devices designed to travel inside your body to spot and even treat disease. The tiny robots known as capsule robots come with a camera and a sensor. Let's look at a picture of this thing because this doesn't sound that exciting, right? One of them had legs and, to be honest, looked a little scary. Professor Pietro Valdastri is described as is describing one of his designs for a miniature robot capable of navigating its way through the human body. One of 20 prototypes he's designed with the potential to diagnose or even cure disease. The idea was that the spider robot would be sent into the colon to investigate a suspicious growth and the legs would help create space to let the robot move through. It is a narrow space. Yes, most of the spaces in the human body are relatively narrow. That doesn't surprise anyone at all. Dot. Causing trouble like I knew she would. I'm going to have to throw these sticky notes at her again. I can tell. She's not going to listen. She never does. It's so much more important to her to fight with her brother than it is to not be in trouble with mom and dad. So she thinks it's worth it. It's not, but she thinks it is. That's her her cost-benefit analysis is a little bit off. She's only about eight months old. So we'll see what happens. (laughs) So, um, yeah, stay tuned for further barking and fighting. Yeah, so this little spider robot, so cool, comes equipped with a camera, and some also carry a sensor that can detect bleeding or the pH of tissue, which can determine abnormalities and may even give an idea of its potential cancer potential. Of its, excuse me, if it's potentially cancerous. This is fascinating. Look at this thing. I wonder how small this is. Let's see if they give us an actual size. The capsule robot also needs to carry a tiny radio transmitter capable of sending that information to the outside world so a surgeon can see in real time what's happening and a receiver so it responds to commands to go forward and back, for example. The idea was that the spider robot would be sent to the colon. This thing is so cool. Look how small it is. It's actually really cute. It looks like a little crab. I love it. I'm here for it. I love the idea of, oh my gosh, look how small it is. I love the idea of tiny robots that can go in and do positive things in your body. And I know we hear a lot of sci-fi and we hear a lot of, you know, doom saying about technology, but this is kind of cool stuff. And I think that this might actually be the wave of the future. Oh, hello. Would you like one of the pets? 
They are causing trouble. I know you wouldn't believe it. Take the barky one. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, dear. Look how tiny this is, though. This is the corner of a, this is the edge of a dime. That is like the size of a grain of sand. That is crazy to me. I love it. I love stuff like this. What, what is this here? Yeah. Okay. So this is a different one. A tiny remote controlled medical micro robot called the Bionaut, which his company is developing as a new modality for delivering medical treatments. That's another thing I saw too. This might actually be a way to deliver medicine to a very specific location, like a cancerous tumor, instead of using chemotherapy, which goes everywhere or radiation, which can cause all kinds of side effects. You have this little tiny thing that takes a pinpoint of medicine and puts the exact right amount exactly where it's supposed to be. What is this one? Fascinating. Various models of tiny remote controlled medical micro robots called Bionauts, which uh, the company Bionaut Labs, the founder Michael Spiegelmacher, that's a great last name. So this company is developing as a new modality for again, delivering treatments. That's so cool. I love it. Good for this guy. I think this is, this is such a cool story. I like to see this stuff being used positively. I want to see it used in like a video. Oh, look at this. Here's conceptual art. Medical concept in the field of nanotechnology, genetic engineering, and the use of nanobots to replace part of the DNA molecule. We can't even imagine how small that is. DNA strands are incredibly tiny. That's nuts to me. I love it. I love this kind of stuff. I think it's really cool. And I would really like to think highly of technology. And this is one way to kind of white pill yourself on this stuff because it is so interesting propellers thinner than hair. What? Resembling a Phipps chips propeller. This is a greatly enlarged picture of a robotic fin micro robot. In reality, it's thinner than a human hair. It's been developed by scientists in Northwestern University in the U.S. who say that in future, it'll help deliver drugs exactly where they're needed in the body, not only making the drugs more effective, but reducing potential side effects. Robot is powered by an air bubble inside it that moves when exposed to ultrasound. It travels very fast for its size, the equivalent of a human running at 400 miles per hour. That's so cool. So this is why I wanted to share this story. It's really awesome. I don't know much about it. I'm probably going to read more about it after this, honestly, because it's so interesting to me. But I know you guys are all here for the political and cultural commentary. So let's get into that stuff because Lord knows we have plenty of this. So this is actually super good news. Tucker Carlson has just struck an ad deal worth more than a million dollars with a conservative marketplace that is Public Square, his first commercial deal since being fired from Fox News with the CEO looking to invest in his new media company. Amazing. I was so excited to see this because we actually heard about this secondhand because Andy's not in marketing. He's on the other side of the spectrum. He works with the IT stuff and he helps people get all set up and all squared away and make sure that all their systems are running smoothly. On the other side with the marketing and with like the advertising deals, incredible stuff. I'm so excited that Tucker Carlson is working with Public Square and this is going to be amazing. Let's read a little bit. He's struck an ad deal worth more than a million dollars with conservative online marketplace Public Square. He'll begin airing commercials for the company on his Twitter show beginning next month after the online marketplace goes public. That's the other thing. Public Square is going, fittingly enough, public, I think. Let's see what date they have now because it kept changing. They were thinking September for a while. Let's see what we got here. Public Square leadership is set to ring the bell on, oh yeah, right, July 20th, of course. We're, they're taking it public on the 20th, and it is the 17th, so that's really coming up soon. I'm so excited for them. Again, Michael looking cheesy. I love his LinkedIn picture. They are doing such great stuff over there. I love all those people 
they are all like actually truly devoted to these conservative ideals and i am so excited for the difference they're going to make in the future i think it's going to be truly positive and we need more companies like them for sure Let's see, Amid Malik, the chief executive of the board of the Blank Check Company that plans to take Public Square public this month, is also planning to invest seven or eight figures in Carlson's venture through his private investment firm, 1789 Capital. I'm going to have to learn more about 1789 Capital. That sounds interesting. Carlson launched his free Twitter show shortly after his ousting. That's right. It's unclear exactly how much he makes from his once a week episode, but his most recent episode was viewed more than 92.2 million times. And I believe that was his episode with Andrew Tate, which I probably should sit down and go through because it was like two and a half hours long. And I haven't fully formed my opinion on Andrew Tate. All I know is that he tends to strike me as a little bit of um a snake oil salesman who is kind of taking advantage of these young men. And I really don't like people who take advantage of other people, men, women, or children. Definitely not children, for sure. We all know that. But yeah, I have problems, but I should watch it to get a fuller picture of what I think about him. So I might try to do something like that this weekend. We'll see what happens. The company is being backed by conservative bigwigs, including Don Jr. and former Senate candidate Blake Masters. Last week, its leadership and top financiers, financiers, financiers. I don't know. Discuss this investment strategy for getting more donors on the door by focusing on the company's conservative parallel economy they say sets itself apart from other online marketplaces. That's right. It is the only online marketplace where you can go and treat it almost like Amazon. It's laid out a little bit differently, but you can know that every single product that you're considering buying is coming from a company that doesn't want to cancel you and doesn't want to indoctrinate your children. So it's really a positive place to be. And I think that them going public is going to be the start of something big. So here is the app layout. Yeah. Okay. So shop your values locally and online. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, Malik is uh, seeking to set up a separate advertising agreement with Carlson for his capital firm, which focuses on investments that support deglobalization and anti-ESG sectors that have been negatively impacted by such principles. He's previously appeared on Carlson's Fox show to discuss how people could opt out of ESG investing. I need to learn more about this guy and his company. That's amazing. That's very cool. And I see why he has invested with Public Square. They are a match made in heaven. And so is Public Square and Tucker Carlson. And I'm so excited for the future. It's going to be great. It's going to be good. So I remember when we first brought Michael on, I forget who asked me if I wanted to bring him on. I didn't know who he was and I didn't know what Public Square was. But as I was investigating Michael and the company, I was getting more and more excited because I was like, this is it. This is what we need. This is the this is the the solution to the division we have in our country. This truly is like the parallel, the alternative economy that conservatives need to actually tell these woke companies, these ESG dominated corporations that they are not in charge of this dialogue. They are not in control anymore. There actually is competition and that's such a good thing. I'm so excited for it. So that's awesome. Uh, not awesome is this headline from Fox News. Non-binary ex-Biden official Sam Brinton was on a secret taxpayer funded trip at the time of luggage theft because... Of course he was. Of course he was. Yeah, shocking. Sam Brinton, the embattled non-binary former senior Department of Energy official, was traveling on a taxpayer-funded business trip at the time of a high-profile baggage theft last year, internal Biden administration documents show. Huh. It's almost like you shouldn't hire people just because they check a box. 
could be wrong. I'm just saying it doesn't seem like the best or the only criteria you should be using at all. Britain traveled in early July 2022 to the DOE-operated Nevada National Security Site near Las Vegas, according to Internal Department of Energy filings and expense reports obtained by Watchdog's group Functional Government Initiative and shared with Fox News Digital. He flew on a United Airlines flight from Washington to Harry Reid International Airport in Las Vegas on July 6th, the documents showed. Months later, in early December, Las Vegas prosecutors charged Britain with grand larceny of an item valued between $1,200 and $5,000. I think that would have been a piece of luggage, and I think that would probably include everything that was in it. Police accused Britain of stealing a suitcase with a total estimated worth of $3,600 at Harry Reid International the same day Britain traveled to Las Vegas on official DOE business. Yeah, the stolen bag contained jewelry valued at $1,700, clothes worth $850, and makeup valued at $500. So these are some pretty high-end goods. So he knows how to pick his luggage from a lineup in the airport. And somebody's made the observation that it's so crazy that you go into the airport and it's security, 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 until you get to the baggage claim. And then they're like, okay, have at it. Take whatever you want. It's the honor system. But we also know that there are a lot of cameras there and you really can't get away with much, which is that's exactly why Sam Brinton is back in the news now, because we could see him and we could see what he did. And it's very hard to hide. And you would think that someone in a position of power in the U.S. government would be aware of the security measures that they take at the airport to make sure that people don't steal other people's luggage. Call me crazy. I would have thought that this guy would know. From my understanding, he's relatively well educated. I think he has some knowledge and experience in the nuclear disposal field. Obviously, that's not why he was hired to this position. They might have thought that was a somewhat somewhat positive, but here he is speaking at the Trevor Projects event in New York City, and we know the Trevor Project is actually founded by Lupron, not founded, but funded by Lupron, which is used as a, as a puberty blocker for young children, even though that's not how it was originally designed. Lupron is very, very, very bad for people, and they were under fire, I think, in 2018 for causing, like, the complete degeneration of bones in people's bodies after they used it for non-puberty blocking purposes. So, has some serious side issues. All right, you guys, we're going to talk about the millions of military emails that have been sent to Mali. Molly? Mali? Molly? I'm going to call it Mali because Molly sounds like a lady's name. Millions of military emails have accidentally been directed to Mali, exposing highly sensitive information because of a typo despite repeated warnings for the last decade. (sighs) MIL is a suffix to all U.S. military email addresses, but people type in ML. The latter is a country identifier for Mali, which resulted in a flow of misdirected emails. From my understanding, from my brief analysis of the story, from my understanding, Mali is an ally, haha, poetry, of Russia. So that's great that we were sending this super, super top secret confidential U.S. stuff to the people with whom we are actually engaged in a war with in Ukraine. So good stuff. We'll see if the Daily Mail mentions that. If not, I will look it up independently because that's actually really something I want to know. Instead of typing, right, right, one misdirected email included travel plans for General James McConville, the chief of staff for the Army. Highly competent. Good work, everyone. It included a full list of room numbers for him. So at any time, whoever got this email could have gone to his hotel room and done what? Assassinated him? Kidnapped him? 
Who knows? Could have been anything. So great that this was happening. Yeah. The general's itinerary as well as details how to collect his key at the Grand Hyatt in Jakarta for the then upcoming trip to Indonesia in May. This is like the most secure, confidential information that you could possibly have. Keenan says Mal E. Mal E. Okay. All right. Mal E. There we go. All right. Anyway, <laughs> I'm trying, guys. About 10 years ago, I don't usually say that word. About 10 years ago, a Dutch internet entrepreneur called Johannes Zerbier first identified this problem. Yeah, so he noticed that this might be a really easy typo to make. Zerbier, who has a contract to manage Mali's cu- country domain, has reportedly also been collecting misdirected emails, nearly, nearly 117,000 of them since January, in order to show the government the seriousness of the issue. He sent a letter to the government earlier this month saying the risk is real and could be exploited by adversaries of the U.S. I'm glad it was going to this Dutch guy, this contractor who keeps an eye on the con- uh, the domain that the country uses which is kind of weird. So I guess the com- the country uses the domain and subcontracts it or contracts it out to a guy from the Netherlands to make sure it's running properly or whatever. Basically doing what Andy's doing, making sure everything's in working order. Mali's government, which has close ties to Russia, there it is, there you go, gains control of the .ml domain and therefore the misdirected email today after Zubier's 10-year management contract ran out. Wow. Okay, so what I said a minute ago, forget that. So this actually isn't being managed by a potential ally of the U.S. This is in the hands of a country that is very, very friendly to a country with whom we are entangled in Ukraine. So that's fantastic. Zubier said he approached several government officials like a defense attache in Mali, a senior advisor to the U.S. National Cybersecurity Service, as well as some White House officials. He took over control of the domain in 2013 and quickly noticed many requests for domains like army.ml and navy.ml coming in, which he suspected were for emails. The system he set up to catch any correspondence like that was soon overwhelmed and stopped collecting messages. Zerbier said he got his legal advice and repeatedly tried to alert the government to no avail. I think Mr... Mr. Z here doesn't fully understand how incredibly, incredibly both corrupt and incompetent the U.S. government truly is because you are just screaming into the void if you think you can alert the U.S. government to a potential problem that they have coming up on their hands. And, oh man, it's so frustrating because, like I'm constantly saying, I've been a conservative my whole life. I've felt this way about the government my entire life. And this is like an unbelievably egregious example. Holy cow. I feel like we're going to be paying the price of this for a really long time. We have no idea how deep this might go. We don't know. Is this country selling these emails to Russia? Are they going to use it to kidnap Americans because they tend to like to hold Americans hostage? Like we saw with Brittany Griner and like we see with a, I think it was a Wall Street Journal reporter that they had and were holding hostage as well as that American military guy wild. Of the nearly 120,000 emails he's collected just in the last few months, none are marked as classified and many of them are just spam mail. Okay, that's good at least. However, some of the misdirected emails contain highly sensitive data on military personnel like General McConville. The sensitive information shared in these emails include x-rays and other medical data, Information from identity documents, crew lists for military vessels, as well as staff lists for military bases, tax and financial records, 
oh my gosh, this is incredible. <laughs> this is blowing my mind right now. I didn't have a chance to go through this full article before I started this evening. And I didn't realize the full depth of the insane incompetence and ridiculous Oh my gosh, this is making me mad. (laughs) Inspection reports, maps of insulations, criminal complaints against personnel, as well as internal investigations into bullying. Uh Uh-huh. Crucially, they also included official travel itineraries and bookings, potentially putting officers traveling abroad at a risk of the information if the information lands in the wrong hands. Mike Rogers, a retired American admiral who used to run the National Security Agency and the U.S. Army's Cyber Command, told the Financial Times, if you have this kind of sustained access, you can generate intelligence even just from unclassified information. Of course you can. Of course you can. They don't need that much data to draw conclusions about what exactly you're saying or trying to say in an email. But these details, this list of where this guy is staying and what rooms he'll be in, holy cow, our enemies would be weak in the knees to say that, to see that, to say the least. While he added it's not uncommon for people to send an email to the wrong address by mistake, the question was the scale, the duration, and the sensitivity of the information, 100%. He warned that the imminent transfer of control over the domain to Mali was posing a significant problem because it is a foreign government that sees it as an advantage that they can use. They probably think that Christmas came early, and I really can't say I blame them. Lieutenant Commander Tim Gorman, who is a spokesman for the Pentagon, told the Financial Times that the Department of Defense was aware of the issue and was taking it seriously. Okay, so why have they collected nearly 120,000 of these stray emails since January? That's been seven months, and they've collected hundreds of thousands. Holy cow. He added that emails from those with a .mil domain sending an email to someone with a .mil suffix would be blocked before they leave the .mil domain, after which the sender would be notified that they have tried, that they have to validate the email address of the internal recipient. Common nominators in the emails include travel agents working for the military, misspelling email addresses, and staff members sending emails between their own accounts. Wow, that's really bad. You are really, wow. Another high-profile leak includes correspondence of an FBI agent with a naval role who tried to forward six messages to their military email but sent them to send them to the Mali instead. Oh my gosh. This included an urgent diplomatic letter from the Turkish embassy to the State Department about possible operations by the militants, Kurdistan Workers' Party, PKK, against Turkish interests in the U.S., as well as briefing on domestic terrorism and a global counterterrorism assessment. Oh my gosh. Another dozen people requested recovery passwords for an intelligence community system to be sent to a .ml address rather than their military address with .mil, while others sent passwords from the Department of Defense's secure access file exchange. I feel like Andy would be losing his mind if he were commentating on this with me because he's constantly talking about taking like the simple human precautions of making sure that your password is very secure, changing it on a regular basis, storing it in a password keeper, making sure that you never like, for example, put it in an email and or send it to yourself. That's elementary as, you know, Sherlock Holmes would say. The U.S. military isn't the only one affected by the mistakenly sent emails as Dutch army personnel who have the domain .nl sent emails to .ml instead. Oh, yeah, that's not good. Emails sent by the Australian Department of Defense also went astray when they were sent to the .ml domain rather than the U.S. military .mil domain. Wow, so they have correspondence from 
Australia. They have it from the Netherlands. And they have it from the U.S. That's so great. I'm so excited. This makes me feel like the adults are truly back in charge. That's, oh, that's crazy to me. That's killing me. I don't know what to make of this information. You guys let me know what you think in the chat section. Absolutely crazy. Let me make sure that you guys can't. There, yeah, I went way too far over to the side. I was trying to see everything here and I can't. I have my screen adjusted a little bit wrong. But anyway, that one really just blew my mind and I wanted to share that with you guys. There's nothing we can really do about it except just let our minds be blown by the wild incompetence of the U.S. government. Serenko says, LOL, sending passwords over email, LMAO. Yeah, yeah, wild, wild. Larry says, do you know how many people work for the government? Of course, hundreds of thousands of people work for the government. But he went directly to the top and he had access to people who were like in the highest positions and no one did anything about it. But the military is saying that they were taking action on it, whatever that means. Um, that did not prevent over 120,000 emails being sent to the wrong domain. So, incompetence. Maybe not malfeasance. Just run-of-the-mill incompetence. Layers of bureaucracy. You know how it is. Uh, doesn't our government get basic training on handling cybersecurity? You know, I used to be concerned about China getting a hold of like some of our military secrets because we know they've been stealing our secrets for years. My dad used to talk about it. Um, that's always a concern. But at the same time, if we're going to be stupid, it's very hard to feel like we don't on some level deserve to have our butts handed to us um, because you can only be stupid for so long before somebody figures out how stupid you're being and decides to take advantage of you. And holy cow. Hello, Whisper. How's it going? Sure, they get training, but they're also lazy and or spies. And that is the constant question. Is it malice or is it incompetence? So Hanlon's Razor said it's typically incompetence. I don't know about that. It's kind of hard to tell. It would be really, really easy to do something and just pretend it was incompetence when actually it is malice. Don't know. When enough people are making the same ridiculous mistake, hard to pin down exactly what it might be. All right, you guys, let's look at some real, real, real incompetence and ineptitude. You know him. You love him. He's in charge of the country until 2024. Joe Biden, fact-checked by Twitter for wrongly boasting that real wages are higher than before the pandemic because of Bidenomics when they are, in fact, lower. And I actually was talking to one of my friends about this today. I said, it shocks me that Elon Musk hasn't um, taken the Canadian way out yet since he bought this gigantic platform on which politicians communicate with the ordinary people. And he's now choosing to fact check people in real time, right, left or center, to make sure that they can't lie to people. And I can't imagine that politicians are going to be okay with that for very long. On Sunday, Biden claimed real wages are now higher than pre-pandemic. Twitter labeled that a factual error, pointing out that they were higher in March 2020. Of course they were. The economy was doing great. Biden officials defend his claim, saying the right data point was February 2020. As Team Biden looks to capitalize on improving economic figures. See, this is literally actively undercutting President Biden's attempt to get reelected. And I don't know if they're going to allow that to stand. So I don't know what's going to happen to Elon Musk. I'm glad he's so fit and healthy. Um, but for all we know, during this fight with Mark Zuckerberg, maybe he gets a, maybe he gets a fatal blow to the head and doesn't end up coming out okay. Oh gosh, here's Joe Biden nibbling on a toddler in Finland, this poor child. Anyway, uh, it accused President Joe Biden of making a factual error, right? Data flagged by Twitter users showed that real wages are adjusted for inflation, 
right. Joe Biden's inflation, the Federal Reserve's inflation, were higher at the end of March 2020 than now. Republicans seized on the number to hammer the point that Biden's out of touch with the economic realities facing ordinary Americans, although the president's allies said the correct comparison came a month earlier when real wages were indeed lower. Okay, so that's a nice way of shifting the goalposts. Good for you guys. You're dishonest as the day is long. The dispute came days after publication of the June Consumer Price Index, which showed the inflation had dropped to 3%. Right now, the real wages for the average American worker is higher than it was Okay, so I'm going to take issue with the plurality of this statement. Real wages for the African for the average American worker is higher. Real wages is higher. Good work team Biden, good job proofreading than it was before the pandemic with lower wage workers seeing the largest gains. That's Bidenomics. The tweet's claim about real wages contains a factual error. Uh-oh. On 31520 when the US COVID lockdowns began, real wages adjusted for inflation were 1115. As of 71623, real wages uh, adjusted for inflation are 1105. Yeah, so real wages AFI remain lower, not higher than before the pandemic, and they literally cite the CDC, which you love to see it. I appreciate it. I'm going to go over there and vote it helpful because that is helpful and I love it. I just thought it was funny. But I want to add that I think that um, I think that Elon Musk's life is in <laughs> tenuous waters, and I hope that nothing bad happens to him. But I felt that way for a really long time. Now that they're fact-checking actual politicians, including the most fat, powerful politicians on earth, because at the end of the day, even if it is Joe Biden, the leader of the free war, the free world is the most powerful politician on earth. Now this is really interesting. Half of Americans feel worse off since Biden became president with working age people hit the hardest. This is a survey that says, do you feel better or worse off than when Joe Biden became president? A lot better, a little better, no different, don't know, a bit worse, a lot worse. Yeah, so all 43% say a lot worse, 9% say a bit worse, 10% say no difference, 18% say a little better, and 19% say a lot better. Democrats. This is interesting. So this tells me that either Democrats are all incredibly wealthy and untouched by stuff like inflation and other such difficulties. But um, you can see that they are 41% a lot better. So maybe they are getting something out of the Biden administration. And only 7% say a lot worse. Now with Republicans, 2% say a lot better. And 83% say a lot worse. So to me, that kind of feels like if everybody's telling the truth and nobody's being super partisan, it feels like the way that the Biden economy is slanted is against people who politically disagree with Joe Biden. Now, I know that the Biden administration would never do anything to undercut their political opponents in any tangible way. Oh, that's not the case at all, is it? Well, I'm just theorizing here. I don't know if that's the case at all. I'm not an economist, but... This is wild to me. So non-graduates are really struggling. Uh, African-Americans are doing okay. It's okay. Hispanic, white, 65 and over, 45 to 64. Yeah. Males are struggling. Even females, to some degree, are also similarly struggling. It's hard out there. Republicans say weakness as they look 
uh, to oust him from the White House. We will see about that. Apparently, all you have to do to beat Donald Trump is sit in your basement and let him make unforced errors slash be covered by a very biased media. Now, speaking of media, Ron DeSantis is going on CNN to go toe-to-toe with Jake Tapper, and we will talk about that in just a minute. But we have other Biden anomalies to talk about. The Biden FTC punished Twitter for seceding from the censorship complex. This is from Margot Cleveland over at The Federalist, whom we love and appreciate. A court filing provides further evidence that the Biden administration targeted Twitter because of Elon Musk's support for free speech. So remember what I was saying about the Biden administration possibly targeting their political opposition with the way the economy is run? I'm not saying that's exactly the case. That's exactly what's happening here. But it kind of feels like it. Let's read a little bit. The Federal Trade Commission inappropriately pressured an independent third-party auditing firm to find Twitter had violated the terms of its settlement agreement with the FTC. A motion filed last week in federal court reveals that misconduct and the FTC's own repudiation of the terms of the settlement agreement entitled Twitter to vacate the consent order its lawyers maintain. Oh my, I don't know what that all means, but that is very dire news for the Biden administration. I'm so glad this is coming to light. The latest development holds significance beyond Twitter's fight with the FTC, though, with details providing further evidence that the Biden administration targeted Twitter because its owner, Elon Musk, supported free speech on the platform. I felt as if the FTC was trying to influence the outcome of the engagement before it had started. A CPA with nearly 30 years of experience with a big four accounting firm, Ernst & Young, testified last month. Now, I don't know if you guys have heard about this story. I found this headline particularly interesting. It's hard for me to explain because I'm not very familiar with the Federal Trade Commission. Not super familiar with, I don't know, these deals that they're making with Twitter and all this other stuff. Let's see if Margot summarizes it for us. She's a very sharp lady. Uh, Let's see. FTC goes scorched earth. What's this? According to Twitter's motion for relief from the 2022 consent order, Musk's acquisition of Twitter produced a sudden and drastic change in the tone and intensity of the FTC's investigation into the company. Okay, if the FTC was investigating them before, and then when they acquired Twitter, the tone of the investigation changed, that tells me this was incredibly politically motivated. Among other things, the FTC publicly stated it was tracking recent developments at Twitter with deep concern. Yes, very deeply concerning. FTC, I can think of some other words you could line up with those initials. The FTC also stressed the revised consent order provided the agency with new tools to ensure compliance and it was prepared to use them. So they're going to punish Twitter. Yeah, yeah. So this is exactly in line with the headline of this article. That was Biden's FTC punished Twitter for trying to escape the censorship complex crazy. Let's see if we can get to the bottom. This is a little bit long, which I appreciate. Don't get me wrong. All right. Give us a summary, Margo. Let's go. House Judiciary Chair Jim Jordan, Republican of Ohio, attempted to question FTC Chair Lena Khan. Oh yeah, she's incredibly ideological. On Thursday, about the agency's apparent interference with EY's independence and its connection to the federal government's efforts to silence speech, EY is the organization that was auditing Twitter. The FTC has engaged in conduct so irregular and improper that Ernst & Young, the independent assessor designated under a consent order between Twitter and the FTC to evaluate the company's privacy, data protection, and information security, felt as if the FTC was trying to influence the outcome of the engagement before it had started, Jordan said. 
But Khan claimed she knew nothing about Rook or his deposition testimony. That doesn't change the fact that the FTC has been laser-focused on Twitter since Musk revolted against the censorship industrial complex. Whether Twitter will convince the California federal court that the FTC's conduct justifies tearing up the consent decree, however, remains to be seen. This is a really interesting story, and I hope that you guys will join us in tracking it. Speaking of tracking, we have a tweet from myself, apparently. Oh, yeah. Tiny robot spiders that crawl around the inside of your body. Yes, please sign me up. Not right now. Thanks. (laughs) Andy, thank you for this. I appreciate that. Yes, thousands of them. That's not what it looks like. We saw it. It's super cool. It looks like a little metallic crab. Don't make me show you the picture again. What do they do? They do amazing stuff. It's so good. They go in and they target like medical issues. They're not spiders. They don't have minds of their own. They're, well, at least not yet. Okay, so that is a further question you can entertain. If you've seen too much science fiction, you might have an issue with these tiny little robot spiders, and I respect that, but at the same time, they're also really cool, and they're going to do great stuff. And I personally, as somebody who worked in the field and had an interest in that stuff, find that to be really, 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 really cool because... Radiation is bad for you. Chemo is bad for you. I used to tell people, you know, if the cancer doesn't kill you, the chemo might. And they're like, yeah, I know. I feel like I'm dying. It's way worse than being pregnant because you're sick all the time. It's attacking your whole body. It's just awful. So if you could get your medicine delivered by a little tiny bug in your body, might as well do that instead. It's going to be better for you. And if the alternative is dying, might be great. Might be a wonderful step up. We'll see what happens. I don't know how long it's going to be before we, the normal pleb people, are going to be able to get these little tiny bugs in our bodies. We'll see what happens. I think it's cool. I think it's awesome. I would sign up for it. I have like little parts of my brain. They're already rebelling. So maybe little spiders could help my brain. All right, you guys. A top Republican is telling his colleagues to stay vigilant in rolling back Biden's woke diversity and equity military policies and warns the administration's total incompetence risks U.S. national security. Now, I don't know if you guys saw this, but let me see. Biden calls up troops. We have been having some serious issues with recruitment. This is the latest on that front. No pun intended. Biden orders 3,000 reservists to be ready for European deployments. Now, to clarify, this isn't technically boots on the ground stuff, whatever. We already have like 100,000 troops over in Europe doing American interest stuff. Although, based on recent activities in Hungary, I don't think that's good for those countries. But I digress. We can point to that in a minute. It's not clear whether the troops will actually be deployed, but it suggests the U.S. military presence in Europe is under strain. No kidding. Well, let's take a peek at... U.S. Army recruitment crisis, because there actually is a crisis there. Can't spell, apparently. (laughs) See what we can find. Yeah, so three weeks ago, the military recruiting crisis is getting worse. Let's see what their reasons are. Leaders from the Army, Navy, and Air Force all dutifully report that they expect to miss their annual recruiting goal this year by thousands. Every significant concern that the American public has about military service must be addressed head on. Yeah. Duh. Critics should keep in mind that the recruiting crisis has not been caused by just one problem and it won't be fixed with just one solution. And I will stop here and say, I think this is the case with most political problems. I think the situations we're facing all over the map are not going to be fixed overnight. They're not going to be fixed from the top down. They're going to be fixed from the bottom up and in a systemic way. 
with good people who are on board in good faith. I don't think there's any other way to do it. Let's see what their conclusion is, though, because that's a little bit, a little bit wordy. Critics should keep in mind, recruiting crisis has not been caused. Right, right, right. It will require the effort of an entire nation. Government and military leaders, parents, teachers, and community role models will all have to engage with young people to help them understand the importance of military service and how their lives can be directly connected to that great purpose. Right. So there's a lot there. Okay. There's a lot. Uh, I think we all know that Americans are hugely obese. Again, no pun intended. We are very, very overweight. We cannot pass the fitness tests. It's very, very, very dangerous position to be in. Now, the other thing that we need to keep in mind is that we are telling white men that they're the enemy, that they're the problem, that they're the biggest issue this country has. Um, and they're also, those also happen to be the people who defend this country with the most fervor and with the most passion and whom I appreciate the most. And men in general, men in general are under attack from the left side of the aisle. So you have the gender thing, we have the health thing, we have the, um, let's see here, no one loves the country anymore. People don't like the U.S., people don't think it's important, people see no reason to fight for it because we've been undermining left, right, and center. And that's why this kind of feels like fifth generational warfare. This feels like, this feels like for a really long time our military enemies have been doing everything in their power to undermine, for example, our love of our country, our care for our fellow citizens, to undermine our health, to introduce these horrible ingredients to, into our diets, and to make sure that, you know, men are told that they're not important and not helpful and their their masculinity is literally toxic. When masculinity is and was and has been for the entirety of this country, the one thing standing between chaos and order when it comes to the world stage, like the reason that the U.S. was so strong and such a force in the world was because we had masculine power in the military to make it happen, or at least the threat of its use to make change in the world. Excuse me, hiccups again. But yeah, this is a serious, serious problem and we need to address it indeed head on. And we that starts with getting rid of wokeness. And I'm genuinely kind of pleased with the Republicans for getting rid of some of this stuff like they did most recently. So let's read a little bit. Number three, House Republican tells DailyMail.com there's so much more to be done to roll back President Biden's woke diversity, equity, and inclusion military policies that are putting the U.S. national security at risk. The House passed an $886 billion fiscal year 2024 National Defense Authorization, Authorization Act last week, largely along party lines in a 2019 to 2010 vote Friday. Republicans successfully included provisions limiting abortion access for troops because that is not, not pivotal to national security, funding of transgender medical care and DEI initiatives, but GOP whip Tom Emmer told Daily Mail that more needs to be done just days later at the Christians United for Israel Summit on Monday. Correct. It is the beginning. It is ultimate. Is it the ultimate answer? No, he said about the NDAA amendments. Like we just read from the Heritage Foundation, this is not just a one stop, one fix, quick fix, and then it's done. This is going to take a lot of work. We're going to have to be vigilant. We're going to have to actually keep leaning in on this issue because this Biden administration, this president and the people around him have a completely different vision of our fighting force for our country. Yeah. Yep. They don't love our country and they're not going to do anything to try to preserve any of the values that they are currently actively trying to undercut. He said a huge win for the uh, in the NDAA was reaffirming the U.S. relationship with Israel. 
Emmer noted that the NDAA authorized another $50 million into U.S.-Israel defense. It also created joint military operations to try and help both Israel and the U.S. This has nothing to do with wokeness. I don't care about any of that stuff. The Whip said the House Republicans have shown that they are not going to stand for this anti-Israel rhetoric. Okay. He also slammed, right, they are coming after Representative Pramila Jayapal, who said that Israel was a racist state, etc. It's pretty anti-Semitic over on the left side of the aisle, honestly, but that's not, again, not really what I care about. You can get anti-Semitism from both sides of the aisle. It's pretty ubiquitous. I think they're back to this idea of appeasement. If you just be nice to your enemies, somehow they will come around to your point of view. It does not work that way. Indeed, it does not. There's been no strength out of this administration. This is a feckless administration with incompetent policies. I like the word feckless because you can really put a lot of vitriol into it. We saw it in Afghanistan. We've seen it in the handing, handling of our enemies uh, around the globe. This is just nothing new. And unfortunately, it is something Republicans have to keep calling attention to. This policy, whether it's Blinken, whether it's National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, whoever it is, it's a total incompetence. And frankly, it not only puts our national security at risk, but creates problems around the globe. The only way you can ensure peace is by having a strong U.S. and our allies like Israel, he continued. The whip also addressed the Biden administration's announcement to send 30,000, excuse me, 3,000 troops to Eastern Europe. He called it a normal rotation that happened twice under former President Trump. But said his one problem with the move is that you can't trust this president or the administration with what's, what other behind-the-scenes discussions they're having or promises they're making. Yeah, that's a serious consideration for sure. Really don't like that. He said the U.S. left billions of dollars of equipment behind and a lot of our friends and allies in Afghanistan, which exposed them to some major problems. This is one that you just got to keep paying attention to and trying to hold this administration accountable from doing things out of sight before they become a problem. Yeah, 100%. And I feel like this is actually a really good mindset to have when it comes to working with a left-leaning government because there is no other way that they operate. They're constantly... I don't know if you guys have heard the line, social social justice warriors, SJWs always lie. I forget who said it originally. I think it was some slightly shady kind of right-leaning um, influencer, but I think that's true. I think that they do always lie, and I think they always lie for a reason. There's always an agenda. They're always pushing something. They never rest. Um, I remember one of the feminists coming out and just saying, it is exhausting. You have to talk about it all the time. You have to deal with this stuff constantly. You never get a break. And I'm like, well, you could if you just weren't constantly harping on and on and on about all this stuff, but you're not going to because you are a possessed ideologue. But let's see what we can talk about next. Got about 15 minutes left. Okay, so... I'm going to brush on this one because it's kind of interesting. Don't have a lot to say about it. Gavin Newsom accused of political hypocrisy over DeSantis and Abbott lawsuit threat as it's revealed his administration was caught dumping child migrants in other counties when he was mayor of San Francisco. How shocking a left-leaning person is being a hypocrite. Yes, we know this. That's not crazy at all. But I really want to talk about this. This is very interesting. So... This is a leak from the Trump White House, and we all know how much we can trust those. No further than you can throw them, right? This says Trump wanted to take a wrecking ball to veterans care and cut 25% from the $250 billion in annual funding before his aides told him it was politically lethal, a former aide claims in a new book. Interesting. I agree that it would indeed be politically lethal, and that's not to say that I particularly love entitlements. But when it comes to veteran stuff, you are not going to be able to sell that to conservative voters with a straight face and say, look, this is necessary. We got to do this. This is where we got to save money. They're going to be like, no, 
veterans served our country. Why don't you take money from funding a country like, for example, Ukraine and instead focus it back on what we need here in the U.S.? Very, very interesting. Trump had an idea to privatize the entire VA, long plagued by bureaucratic bloat and vastly cut down on its $250 billion budget, according to blowback by Trump whistleblower Miles Taylor. That doesn't sound that bad. Trump talked about veterans, veterans, veterans. One former leader told Taylor, but at the end of the day, he thinks they are lazy malingerers. That doesn't sound like that's exactly what he thinks. Trump, who left the Republican Party in 2022, oh, great, served as chief of staff in the Department of Homeland Security under Trump from 2017 to 2019. He penned an anonymous op-ed in 2018 for the New York Times entitled, I am part of the resistance side of the Trump administration. And with that, I'm going to have to say, I don't care what this guy says. He is an a-hole and I don't approve of anything he says. Trump team has harsh words for Taylor and his new tell-all. Miles Taylor is a sack of ish. (laughs) Tell us how you really feel. His book either belongs in a discount bin of a fiction section or should be repurposed as toilet paper. Yes, and this is our good, good friend who likes to lie about DeSantis, Stephen Chung. And for once, I finally agree with him because it sounds like this guy is just writing a TDS book. Um, and I don't, I don't know what to make of this. It's kind of an interesting headline. I was looking at it in the context of Trump going after DeSantis for wanting to cut entitlements. Now, as somebody who understands what's going to happen to this country, if we don't cut entitlements, I'm 100% on board with finding some way to reform entitlements. We are going to go down the tubes even more than we already are if we don't figure out how to way to fix the if we don't figure out a way to fix the pyramid scheme that is our current entitlements program. And I don't want to hear about people who've paid into social security. I have paid into social security for years of my life already, and I'm never going to see a damn penny of it because I wasn't the one investing it. This government is. And because we gave the presidency to Joe Biden for four years, hopefully it's only four years, not eight years that the Democrats have the presidency, they're investing it in things that I am morally repugnant, like, like actually morally disgusted by like abortions, these transgender surgeries. And this is what they're doing with our money. Okay. This is what they're doing with the money that you entrusted them to invest for your future, for your retirement. Good work, everyone. And of course, you know, we're not going to see any of that when it comes time for us to retire, which is why we have to be responsible, which becomes even harder than when the government is taking a gigantic chunk out of your paycheck. But I digress on the entitlements things. So on the topic of DeSantis, because Trump did go after DeSantis about entitlement reform, which is wild because that would be Trump attacking DeSantis from the left. I know he would never do such a thing. He's such a good conservative. DeSantis heads to CNN to hopefully confront Jake Tapper, the most dishonest man on cable news. I want Ron DeSantis to go into this sit down with a list of the lies that the left has told about everything from COVID to Russia to every lie they ever told about Trump to everything they ever said about Antifa and the summer of love to everything they said about parents who went to school board meetings and who are now terrorists. I want him to hold Jake Tapper accountable. I want him to be super disagreeable. Ron DeSantis is finally stepping out of the Fox News bubble. It can be a huge success for a huge campaign if he does for his campaign, if he does what he does best. We'll see. There's a lot writing on this. 
The Republican presidential candidate was by far the most consequential interview with Tucker Carlson during last week's Family Leadership Summit in Des Moines. He offered a far better position on the pointless Ukraine war than the virtue signaling one he had in the past. Right. People had issue with his Ukraine stance in the past because he hasn't really done foreign policy. He's run a state, which has similar merits, but none of the outreach that a foreign policy uh, maker has to have. He made clear he understands that just by, just how threatening the Washington regime is to the ever broadening underclass to the point that the federal government may eventually have to be cut off, cut off your, may eventually be able to cut off your ability to buy things. Correct. And he aggressively defended his records, most controversial to the media achievements. All that is good. And with Tucker unbound by the corporate red leftist culture at Fox, no Republican could or should have counted on it being a breezy interview. And I think that's why Trump didn't go. I think that despite Tucker's exclamations that he really likes Trump and that he's on Trump's side and that he's on board with the Trump Trump gang, whatever, the Trump movement, he was concerned about getting hard questions, which is super interesting. Or maybe he just didn't want to be in the same platform as DeSantis. Weird to me. I don't know. Maybe you guys can tell me in the chat why you think that Trump decided not to go to this event. I know he had the TPUSA event, I think either the same day or the next day, but Vivek was able to make it to both, and I'm sure that Trump would have been able to make it to both too. To date, the Santa strategy has been to deny any access to the candidate by journalists and TV reporters who aren't from Fox News or who haven't already publicly stated how much they like him. That works fine as a sitting governor, but it doesn't work in a national campaign wherein most voters, even Republican primary voters, don't know him and want to know how he performs in an adversarial environment. I completely agree. I had no issue with him just being like, you know what? I'm not going to talk to you on your terms. We're not having that. I saw what you did to Trump. I'm not going to let you snip my words out of context and pretend that I said something I didn't say. And I respected that. But I agree that it is now time for him to jump in and take it to them. And I want him to just roll up the Russiagate hoax on a ball of paper and whack Jake Tapper in the head with it because that's what he deserves. Washington is for a truly effective Republican, nothing but adversary all day, every day. It's a cage match wherein the Republican is virtually alone and the opposition tag teams. If it's not Democrats, it's the permanent bureaucracy. And if it's not them, it's the national media. More often than not, it's all three at one time. Right. And that's why I trust that the guys jumping into the presidential race for 2024 are fully aware of this and are ready to take on this fight. And I think it's going to be great. I just wish that there was less infighting on the right because we have very real enemies on the left that we should 100% be focused on all the time all the time. They deserve all of our attention and all of our energy. They are doing actual evil, horrible, heinous things to people, to our youngest citizens, literally to unborn citizens. They deserve the full focus of all of our attention. The good news is that the Republicans uh, isn't truly alone, so long as he maintains the faith of his supporters. That's all that counts. The bad news is that the DeSantis campaign may have shown that it has no idea what's about to go down. Well, we will see after the CNN interview. I personally am stoked for it. Let's read about what Jake Tapper was up to. Jake Tapper was an obnoxious drama queen of the first order in all of his 2020 COVID coverage, hyping up the fear in pursuit of unseating Trump. When Joe Biden was sworn in, his attitude about COVID went from the absolute, tra- this is absolutely tragic. Why hasn't the president done anything to, well, viruses spread. What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is the case for most reporters, though, to be fair. 
The interview will only be a success if DeSantis is prepared to repeatedly rebuke what will surely be a line of question from the Tapper, from Tapper, full of lies and distortions. Right. So he needs to go in prepared. This will be a big test for his team to make sure that they have everything covered and they run through everything, like every possible thing that Jake Tapper is going to throw at him. They need to run through it until Ron DeSantis' brains are coming out of his ears because there's no other way to make sure that you get your point across with a leftist interviewer. That will include citing specific examples of Tapper's hackery from Russia to COVID, many of which are helpfully cataloged here. Oh, good. Thank you, Federalist. Tapper is a disreputable hysteric who can't be trusted. Hopefully DeSantis knew that before agreeing to interview. I believe he did know that. He's no dummy. Eddie Scary is a DC columnist at the Federalist and author of Liberal Misery, How the Hateful Left Sucks Joy Out of Everything and Everyone. Wow, that sounds like a great book, honestly, and I appreciate his frank analysis of Ron DeSantis. He needs it. I want his campaign to do well, and I think this is just the thing. Talk about some tough love. If you're going to actually win stuff, you need to dive in, get into the fray, and make sure that people remember your name. So hopefully that's exactly what's going to happen with the CNN interview. So... I think chat froze on me, so I'm going to make sure I scroll down. I'm so annoyed with this stupid thing. Yeah, weird. All right, well. Oh, there we go. Okay. Government just keeps coming up with hidden ways to take from us. Yeah, 100%. Get the government out of social safety nets. They will all fail miserably. Back to depending on our families, community, and churches, I say yes. So maybe stop taxing our families and communities and not so much churches, but taxing everybody out the wazoo is not going to make... It makes it harder to save for retirement. So I, for a long time, was just like, okay, well, just be responsible and save for your own retirement, et cetera, et cetera. Never rely on the government, whatever. They're taking your money and they're throwing it out the window while you struggle to save for your retirement. Wild. William says, okay, thank you, William. I appreciate that. Kiranoth says, hey, Lids, hello. Welcome in. Yeah, Social Security drives me crazy. All these entitlements drive me nuts and no one wants to touch them ever because that's not how you get votes, right? I don't give a flying rat's patootie about votes. This is not going to work. This entire country is going to crumble if we don't find a way to stop taking so much money from the citizens and stop wasting it on government projects because you know where this money goes. We are as corrupt as some of these African countries that just disappears into the wind constantly. But no one will do anything about it because they have to be reelected. It's more important to win political points than it is to make an actual future for your children. And I have to say, I see this tendency on the right. Even people who aren't politicians are willing to say, hey, I don't care about future generations. I don't care about your kids because most of them don't have kids. I care about what's in my bank account. Screw you. Peace out. I hate that. That's the worst form of moral depravity I think I've ever seen. And it's not just coming from politicians. It's coming from pundits, too. And it could not possibly infuriate me more. So I am not going to have time to talk about Black Mirror. We might talk about that tomorrow. I kind of want to talk about this Carly Russell story. This is super interesting. I don't understand it. Maybe you guys can help me understand it better probably tomorrow. Let's look at that tomorrow. And we'll talk about Black Mirror, too, because I personally loved Black Mirror when it was not horrible and when the future wasn't scarier than Black Mirror. So we will unpack that a little bit. I'll leave that tab tab up on my laptop and we will get into it. All right, you guys, thank you so much for joining me. Two ladies says this will have to start in our colleges first. That's where our youngest and brightest minds grow. Agreed. Agreed. Yep. Yep. 
so many forgotten, so many forget military members get enough stuff down our throats. This extra stuff will only reduce efforts further. I know. I know. And Kanye Ron says, wokeism ruined the military. Yeah, but there's a lot of factors like the fact that we're all out of shape doesn't help. That does not help at all. At all. And feminism is a very specific form of wokeism that's telling men that they're not important. But I digress. It's 7.58. Thank you guys so much for joining me. I truly appreciate it. I will see you all tomorrow night. Stay safe. Stay well. Stay out of Target. Until next time. Bye, guys.